Welcome to the Pin Down, a Detroit Pistons podcast. I'm your host, Wes Davenport from Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys. And I am Blake Silverman, writer for Detroit Bad Boys and Motor City Cruise G League and WNBA reporter. And Wes, before we get started, I think I owe you a couple congratulations. One, happy belated birthday. And two, even even though it pains me as a Michigan State grad, congratulations to your Michigan Wolverines. Yes, thank you. Honestly, more so for the second than the first one. Uh, I don't know. Birthday, birthday was always just kind of another day for me. But listen, Michigan, I'm I'm admittedly one of the most fair weather college football fans you're gonna find. You know, for for me, growing up, if they beat Ohio State, I start following. That's pretty much it. But they did this year, and they have the past three years, so go blue on that. But uh, they did this year. They keep going. Finally, they win it. It was just really cool for me to see a team I root for actually go win a championship because that's not really something I've experienced. So that was a lot of fun, you know, just selfishly. That was great. You're you're experiencing, like, the two greatest deltas you can, the biggest variance out there. Yep, exactly. And, I mean, heck of a year for football in the state of Michigan, though. I mean, you got University of Michigan going off, winning the national championship. Now the Lions are about to get a home game, home playoff game this weekend taking on you know old boogeyman matt stafford like what what a year for football in the state of michigan we're blessed this is great and all at the cost as a lot of people have said of the detroit pistons unfortunately but that's how it works out sometimes i guess that's that meme right the the thanos infinity stones (laughs) what did it cost the pistons it cost the pistons uh, and in this case, it may have cost Kate, right? He gets hurt. Thankfully, seems like he avoided anything major. Uh, looks like he might just be out a week, two weeks. Sounds like a knee sprain. Um, so nothing big there. Thank goodness. But in the meantime, they went and they played the Kings. They played the Spurs. Lost pretty handedly to both of them. Um, curious to see where you want to start with with those two games, just because, you know, obviously the Kings, you give up that triple-double to Sabonis. You're up over 20 points there in the first half or really first quarter, but then lose by 20. And then the Spurs is just kind of a route from, from start to finish yet another triple double uh, from a big man. So, you know, kind of pick your poison wherever you want to go with it first. Um, Let us have it. Yeah. I I mean, it's, I think for all of us, but like, it's, it's getting tough with, with these games. Like we're definitely at the point of the dog days of the season, even if the team weren't, weren't this bad and the past few weeks like the one I guess shining light or thing we could look to with these games was the performance and breakout of Cade so when he went out with an injury uh, being reevaluated in seven to ten days so probably at some point next week it it just makes the games a little like tougher to watch I I guess you can look to things like Jaden Ivey being more of like a primary scorer, but it just it just hasn't looked great. Like with it, they're just not competitive with Cade not out there. I mean, blowing that lead they had against the Kings, but it's it's getting super tough for me. I I can say, but I did see right before we hopped on that Isaiah Stewart was upgraded to probable for the game Friday against Houston at home. That's a good sign. I know before he went out, we were all talking like maybe he would be better suited coming off the bench, but 
I think since he's been out too, just the defense that he brings is glaringly missing. So hopefully Stu is active and available against Houston. So that can at least be something that we have back in the lineup. Yeah, you know, they kind of unfortunately killed two narratives with one stone here because, you know, you, you saw a little bit earlier in the season, there was some national uh, media talking about, hey, you know, does Kate Cunningham play winning basketball? Can he be the centerpiece of a winning team? Yada, yada, yada. Well, it turns out he was probably the only thing keeping them more or less competitive in these games. It was mostly Cade Cunningham keeping them close. And now these past couple games, they've just not been close at all. So you've got that. And then, you know, Isaiah Stewart, for for all of his faults, they're playing at the four. You know, there were people that were questioning his energy, questioning his defense, if it really was all that good. Well, they went from being a very bad defensive team with him in there. And since he's been out, they've been almost on a historic pace in terms of terribleness uh, for, for defense. So not... Not the way that I don't. I think anyone would like to have killed those narratives. You know, you'd rather have Stewart kind of headline a a really good defensive unit off the bench, maybe, or you know, just win some games off the back of Cade Cunningham when you get some more support around him. Uh, but I mean, I guess we got to the same conclusion. Cade uh, Cunningham's really important, and Isaiah Stewart can play good defense. I just I wish they weren't the last things. You know, keeping keeping this mangled piece of whatever together. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. It, it's crazy. Like how big just one, one piece missing, like it feels like it impacts this team a little bit more when they're already, already bad. And then you remove like piece X or piece Y. I mean, like Kate, obviously we know that's, that's going to, and change the product on the floor but yeah the the missing part of Stewart has just been like really big for me I mean honestly I don't think I thought he was as important to this group as it turns out he was so I I am hoping that he's back and whether it's I mean I'm assuming he's gonna start he's only started this season um but eventually like maybe he is that guy to come up off the bench but this year like you just you just need your best players on the floor and I think like what Stewart provides on the defensive side is like something that this team can't really miss right now yeah absolutely so before we dive into kind of our buy sell hold game uh that that we previewed a little bit um wanted to ask you this just with with both of those games it seems like They've obviously lost a ball handler here with Kate Cunningham being out to injury. They've, oddly enough, kind of turned some of that ball handling over to Jalen Duran. Been highs and lows, right? You know, the the highs of that first quarter there against Sacramento, that that looked really great, looked very fluid. Uh, Since then, it's, you know, been more 50-50 if it's just a really bad turnover or something interesting happens. But, you know, obviously this, this seems pretty new to him. And it took me off guard when once they started going to it early in those games. So I was curious what what your thoughts were just on that in general. Yeah, that that was really interesting, um, it, especially against the Spurs. Like there there got to a point where I mean Duran would grab a rebound and dribble the ball up the floor, and as I was watching, I was kind of like, oh man, like please stop. But sometimes like good things happen 
there were also a lot of times where not great things happen. Like I noticed a couple points where he dribbled the ball up, pulled up for a mid range jumper and it didn't go in. So like, that's just a low efficiency shot. Like we can't be doing that where with where the team is like, maybe he does have more of the leeway to play with that stuff and develop that part of his game. Um, But yeah, like he hasn't always looked good by any means putting the ball on the floor. And I think especially against the Spurs, he did show some flashes. It's a hundred percent not finished. A lot of it was like, this cannot happen on a team that's serious about winning basketball games. But I, I mean, I think if he can develop that game while we're in this wash season going through this terrible stretch, like maybe that's one thing that you can take from this. What what did you see from the old point guard Jalen Duran? Yeah, point point Duran uh, playing <laughs> the point five role. I mean, they've they've talked organizationally as trying to get him down that you know Bam Adebayo role. This is a bit of a natural progression of that. I'll say that what really concerns me is uh, his processing and his passing that comes out of this. Uh, He has really surprised me with his handle. I think his handle is a lot better than I was personally giving him credit for. Um, There were a few times, especially against San Antonio, that they would run a second defender at him, try and, you know, a little wolf from behind something to catch him off guard. And he did. He handled that very well. So I want to give him credit for that. But at the same time, you know, he'd get downhill and he would make some passes that, made uh, some of Cade's little boneheaded passes that he's thrown earlier this season look pretty normal by comparison. You know, there were some going into the first, second row. There were some ghosts on the baseline he was seeing. Like, I'm not – I question his processing on offense in no small part because his processing on defense is so questionable at this time. And I really wonder if – Yes, you have a big, and he can he can physically dribble the ball, and he's good at that. He's shown that. He, he really impressed me with it. So maybe you can get some drive opportunities from, from the elbow or, or something of that nature. But in terms of actually bringing it up and initiating offense, if he doesn't have another outlet, I guess, outside of trying to get to the rim and finishing over a guy, I I just don't know how, how well that can develop. Um, so it gives me a little bit of pause without trying. I'm not trying to be too negative on it, especially since he really, like I cannot express to you enough how much he surprised me with his ball handling, especially how he looked after summer league, right? The the few dalliances he did going between the legs just made me want to throw the remote in summer league. Now it like, it looked fluid. It looked good outside of the passing. Yeah. It, the interesting part is like, he's clearly a, a non-shooter, which is of course a problem in this long-term rotation. But if he can like handle the ball at the top of the key or even help them like run a five out offense, like that helps space the floor in a way that mm-hmm. it, where he's not like, he's never going to be a shooter. So I guess that will help him be somewhat of a floor spacer which we know is a glaring issue with this team as well so the idea is interesting like the execution definitely is not great at this point but I I mean at this point where the team is you just have to hope guys develop parts of their game throughout the season like there's really not much else we can ask for I don't think yeah absolutely and 
just just in general, I would rather see him catch the ball a little bit extended over the elbow and try to drive and get downhill, get a little bit of momentum, than I would the post-ups he's been getting. He's got good footwork. I don't think he's got great touch. So if you could get him a little bit more momentum downhill, maybe that leads to more free throws. I think that could be pretty productive. So yeah, like I'm I'm down to see more direct drive and you know catch and drive sort of opportunities. Less so ball at the top of the key, trying to orchestrate offense. But uh, let's get into this buy, sell, hold. So we got a few questions here that I'm going to throw at you. And I want to know if you are going to buy, as in like, yes, I'm I'm buying my stock in this. This is going to happen. You know, I'm investing. Sell, which is the opposite, you know, get me off or hold. As in you're just, you're just going to wait, you know, whatever stock you do have, don't have, you're not going to buy more. You're not going to get rid of it. You're, you're just going to wait it out and uh, and see what happens. So. First one, maybe a softball, maybe a hard one. I don't know. Cade Cunningham will make an all-NBA team at some point in his career. Any of the three, buy, sell, hold. I'm going to buy that. I feel like it's a, a risky one, but just with what he's shown, like I have to think a guy like that will eventually make an all-NBA team. I'm worried to say this, but like, I mean, maybe it's not even in Detroit, like however far down the road. I hope oh, it don't is. Say that. I, yeah, but we we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what if we're going to press rebuild to our rebuild. So I don't know. I just think someone of his caliber who can control the game the way they do and just like what we've seen over the past few weeks, month, like I'd have to buy that, but I don't. I, I feel a little bit like risky saying that. What do you think? I'm I'm buying it. I think at a minimum, third team is very attainable. Um, even just, you know, pretty minor improvements from the already pretty incredible basketball he's been playing, uh, but he was playing before the injury uh, that he got to his knee there. I, I think that was at least all-star level, if not close to making an all-NBA team. So, you know, go up his three-point percentage, maybe three percentage points, get to the free throw line at that rate throughout the season. A little bit more talent around him, so the team's more uh, more competitive and, and better night to night. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's pretty attainable. You know, Blake, Blake Griffin got on uh, All-NBA third team that, that year when, when they made the playoffs with him on the roster. And if you, you look at the averages, you know, he, he averaged more rebounds and, and, and better three-point shooting. Everything else is fairly equivalent. So, you know, I, I I think it's pretty reachable uh, is what I'm saying. Next one, buy, sell, hold. Jaden Ivey will average more than 25 points per game in at least one season of his career. Oof. I'm, I'm going to sell that just because I, I'm not sure of the role. Like, I'm not sure if he'll ever have the role where – He's able to do so, like averaging 25 points per game throughout an entire season isn't easy. Um, I, I mean, especially if we're just thinking like Ivy is going to be playing alongside Cade Cunningham and ideally a decent shooter while he's in Detroit. I just don't know if that volume is there for him. Uh, I don't want to say this again because I just said about the next question, but like Maybe if he goes somewhere else and breaks out, then it's possible. But I just don't see the role with within this group. And I mean, maybe even in his 
entire career. What do you say? I'm a little disappointed because <laughs> I thought I was going to be against the grain when I sold on this. Like I wrote it down thinking, oh, that's a really good line. I'm going to get Blake to say, I'm going to get him to say bye. And then, you know, I, we could sell some disagreement here and, and talk on the margins. It's like, you know, you think it was 26. I think it's like 23, 24. Uh, but no, I'm I'm with you. I, I didn't get yet. It was a trap question. Didn't work. Uh, <laughs> I, I agree. I, I doubt that it's coming. I think the off the dribble three point shooting is really going to limit him. I trust him pretty, pretty much off the catch. For catch and shoot threes, I trust that he's going to get to the free throw line a lot, especially as you up his volume, uh, give him more driving opportunities, more handoff opportunities, stuff like that. So I think he could get close to that mark, but you know, I'm not sure that he's ever going to be a guy that pushes you know close to 30 or, or anything like that. And there are kind of tiers to this, right? When you're talking about lead scorers in, in the NBA, so yeah, I, I I'll end up selling and. My guess is maybe 23 or 24. You know, I, I do think he gets close to this. I just don't, I don't know if he's going to exceed it. Um, all right, next one here. Buy, sell, hold. The Pistons will make more than one trade before the trade deadline this season. Oof. Uh, I'm going to buy it, but I think it's a max of two. And the only reason I'm buying it is just because, like, I think you have, like, it's obvious you have to do things. I don't know if the deals are out there for them to get them done, but I could see a scenario where they make one like salary dump move where they take on someone's contract for assets and then they make another trade to get better around the margins, like bring in some veteran to hopefully just bring in a new face around this group. I'm not super confident in it like i don't think they'd make any more than two trades and i don't know if there will be other teams around the league like to get that done but i just i just think they have to yeah so here here's what makes me nervous and you and you touched on it but you know they want to do something on the margins right they're not very comfortable at this point getting, you know, sending out one of Asar Thompson, Marcus Sasser, Jalen Duran, Jaden Ivey. Doesn't sound like. Maybe they are. And I believe James, James Edwards III has reported that he, he thinks maybe they're more open to it than they're letting on. But that's, you know, speculation. That's nothing definitive. So if we take him at their word and they just want to do some – you know, uh, adjustments or along the side, somewhere in the rotation and up the skill level. I don't know if they have the assets to go make multiple of those moves. It feels like, you know, even even if it's a salary dump type thing, you know, okay, you move on from Bojan and Joe Harris and you're, you created enough to get two very large contracts back, right? Then what do you do? You know, you, you kind of just emptied the cupboard a little bit. You know, there's Monte Morris as well, but the Pistons were able to get him for a couple of seconds. So you're, you're, you're probably not going to get too much for him now, right? You've got Alec Burks, who, you know, we've seen some reporting that maybe is worth a couple of seconds as well. So it just, it kind of gets sparse once you get out of that, try to acquire a larger contract in, in a salary dump thing that'll help either at the four or just be a solid bench guy. So 
I'm very confident in one. I think I'm going to sell on more than one, uh, just for that reason alone. Do you, do you think I'm, uh, I'm off on that? No, I like I wasn't confident. Like, I just think theoretically, like you have to make more than one. But at the same time, I don't see that like like two is the max and maybe just what's out there isn't isn't enough for the other team to pull the trigger isn't enough for the Pistons to pull the trigger. So, I mean, I hope it's more than one. I'm not confident in it, though. Yeah, and YouTube user just put in the comments, and I think he's you know spot on that the Pistons are willing to make a move today. You know, they they'd be open to a trade right now, but no other teams are really all that interested yet. You know, they want to see how the market plays out. They want to wait it out and see if maybe you could get more value in February. So the Pistons definitely have motivation. I, I just you know I don't know if there's going to be enough time to string a couple of moves together. All right, this will be the the last one before we get into some questions. I think it's a tough one, all right? So buy, sell, hold. Jalen Duran is going to become a good defender in the NBA. Not average, good. I'm going to – I think I'm going to hold that. I think I need to see a little bit more, especially just like rim protection and hopefully he has a bit – more help isn't it but I don't know just especially like going up against Sabonis and and Wemby like you just see some of I guess his like flaws or things he has to work on on a defender and even before that like there have been some questionable things on the defensive side so I'm not confident to say he'll be a good defender in the NBA like above average I think he can be, but I'm just like not confident in saying that at this point. I, like, I think at the end of the season, like maybe we could reevaluate it and see what he's done or how he's improved on his game and be more confident about it. But right now, I'm just not. So I'm going to sell, um, not even hold, I'm just going to sell on it. And and I'll put it this way. If, if Pistons fans, if, if you guys will indulge me for a second, remember back to young Andre Drummond, right? He's got all the athletic tools in the world. He can jump out of the gym. He's big. He's strong. He's quick. He can he can steal the ball from Dwayne Wade, right? We're all really excited. But what's the one thing he can't really do? Block shots, right? He can't really protect the paint. And he just doesn't seem to have that instinct yet for when to time his jump. He never really develops that skill. And Andre Drummond developed, you know, I think, you know, in my opinion, quite a few skills over his time in Detroit, right? He did. He became noticeably a better player over the years. But that was the one thing that never really came to him. And I think I look around the league and, you know, you look at shot blocking, you look at rim protection. Most guys that really have it kind of showed up with it and then improved on it from there. Even a guy like Brooke Lopez was averaging over two blocks with the Nets back in the day when he was young. Okay. So even a guy like him where it, it was iffy, you didn't know how good a actual post defender he was going to become. He, he always had some level of timing. You know, a YouTube user brings up Dwight Howard. He, he was an okay shot blocker, right? Another one of these situations where 
he seemed to have the timing. He just wouldn't get on into the right spots 100% of the time. And then that obviously improves as he's going on and uh, gaining experience in his career. So I, I say all this to say I'm worried just in general that defense at the NBA level requires some level of instinct to be good. You know, you could be average with effort and just being in the right place 90% of the time. But to be good, you have to be anticipating and you have to have some level of instinct for what's coming at you. And, you know, I talked about it a little bit earlier. Dern doesn't have that on either side of the ball right now. So that makes me very, very concerned that he's going to eventually become a shot blocker, that he's eventually going to become a really good, you know, switch big or, or handle pick and rolls well. Um, I'm, I'm nervous about it. That's not saying he can't do it, right? I'm, I'm just nervous about it. So, so I'm selling. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's not the best sample because of the height, but like Wemby and Chet Holmgren are in like the top three shot blockers in the league at Wemby's. Walker Kessler <laughs> his, too. His, yeah. His own story, but like guys like Chet. And, and I think that's like the one that the one glaring, I guess, miss down low with this team is just like rim protection. It's something we need. Um, It's not something Duran has been providing. Not sure if he ever will. Not sure if he's that type of player, but hopefully, hopefully he could get there. Um, Not putting it past him, but like you said, it, it might be harder to get there than some other skill. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not, Defense isn't like improving your three-point shooting, right? Three-point shooting, you just need more reps, more reps, more reps, more reps, right? With defense, you can watch all the film that you want. At, at, there's some level of minimum athletic requirement too, which is why I wasn't a good defender. I am not nearly quick enough laterally to stay in front of guys at the college level. So that held me back. But then once you get past that, you clear that level. There's also, like I said, just there's some level of instinct involved. And you know, these guys are professionals. These are the best basketball players in the world. How much can you really develop your instinct? How we don't, for example, we don't very often say that a a player is going to really, really improve their processing on offense. For the most part, you're looking at the playmaking. They either kind of have that innate court vision or they don't. And I'm starting to get worried that defense is is the same way. I'll give you a a chance to respond and then we'll, we'll hop on to questions. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's just something that's a little bit harder to evaluate or say, like, how it's going to get better. Like, you like to think just like playing around the league and understanding some of the guys that you do have problems matching up with, how they work, what you can do to put yourself in better position or whatever it might be. But I I totally agree with you. It, It might be something that's a little more harder to build than some of the other skills out there all right so i've been really excited about this question i want to jump right into it first uh you go ahead take this one and run with it Blake. this is from Rames in the dbb chat asking how can Jaden ivy be best utilized without asking him to become a point guard uh i guess in the vein of like russell westbrook right yeah well i mean i I don't think he's a point guard in general. I mean, I think the thought process has been like put the ball in his hands, give him more volume and running the offense. But 
I mean, I think if he can improve his three-point shooting and just, like, I have seen improvement with his driving to the bucket and getting some contact. So I think, like, that's a way, just, like, running off screens and getting to the hole, but also having that, like, shooting ability to fall back on, I guess, just, like, hurt defenses in multiple ways, keep them guessing. Um, And I don't really think he needs to be a point guard to be that guy who drives to the rim and gets contact and gets to the line however many times a night I think he can do that with the way he plays without having the ball in his hand just would like to see him improve as a three-point shooter and then continue to improve on that uh, driving to the basket and gaining contact and finishing through contact so what would you think about using him, I, I guess, a little bit like if you if you think back to Rip Hamilton, right? But but not focusing on the mid-range, mm-hmm. only in the sense that have him flying off off-ball screens on the baseline, around the elbow, trying to get him into space in that way because he's so dang fast. And this is something he actually did at Purdue, right? You could get him off Iverson actions, regular curls kind of speed him in, give him a running start from the corner, get him up and have a, a high off-ball screen for or that or for a DHO, some, something to get him moving and then play fast out of that. Uh, we saw that against the Kings, right? There was one really, really pretty play where Wiseman walks into a DHO on the left wing. Ivy comes ripping off of it already at full speed because I believe there was an off-ball action getting him lifted from the corner. Uh, and it's just the defense is scrambling because he gains so much space with the level of speed he has from when he catches the ball to when he picks up that first dribble, and then it's a really easy lob to James Wiseman. I think a lot of that stuff is really sustainable for him just with how athletic he is. You could get him into space by, you know, run him off a pair of screens off on the baseline and try to lift him up off onto the wing, you know, and then have him play out of it from there. I I think there's a lot that they could do, and they haven't done it as much yet. But it seems like low-hanging fruit, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you said it for me, just like combining his speed with running off screens, like it makes defenses scramble. And like that's – like defenses aren't having a tough time with this team. So I think the the more ways that you can keep defensive – defenses guessing and Ivy can do that just with his athleticism. He just has to be put in the right spots, put himself in the right spots. I think it matters a bit who we are playing potentially in the pick and roll with Cade. Uh, Like where does I, where does Ivy fit in? Where is he on the floor combined with that? But I think a player like him should just be like constantly moving cutting, running off screens, which paired with his speed, his athleticism can really just like make things happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like if you run him off screens and he's constantly in motion in in the way that you just described, right? He shouldn't need any more than four or five dribbles to make a, a really nice play, either a pass, kick, lob, whatever, or just to finish at the rim. I mean, if you think about it this way, right, the reason he's so dang dangerous in transition is because of that speed. But it's not just because he outruns guys. It's because he's coming at you so fast. He's already got a full head of steam, and he's operating at you know 90% speed. Everyone else is operating at 50% for, for whatever that's worth. So you can kind of create 
similar situations in the half court just by getting him space and a nice little runway to pick up speed. Then by the time he's curling off of it, getting to the middle of the uh, middle of the lane and catching the ball, right? You know, not in the lane, but maybe up at the top of the key, ripping off a screen from the wing. Like now it's just, he's already downhill. He's you've created that little fast break. It's probably a five on four at this point. Like you, you could just create so much havoc. It'd be so fun to watch. And it's a creative way to use a guy off ball screens too. Because you know, your more traditional usage is clay, Rip, Reggie Miller, these types of guys. I think it would be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I think like decision making is a huge part of like using him that way too. Like I think in Ivy's rookie year, there were times where he would like be running down the floor on a fast break and it didn't seem like he knew what to do and which would result in a turnover, um, just non-efficient shot. So I, I have seen improvement there this year for Ivy. Like it seems like he's more confident in what he decides to do. And I think if that can get like, can get better and better, it can only help him in this like way that we're talking about using Ivy because you have to move fast. You have to make quick decisions. And that is clearly not always easy. Yeah, man. The moment Jaden Ivy can play and process as fast as he moves, you've got a really, really dangerous offensive player. And I mean, like you said, he's improved a lot in that space already, right? So he's he's close. He's getting there. So just, you know, that, that one last step of, of progress for him to, to see the game as fast as he's going. It could be pretty special. Uh, all right, next one. This is from our guy, Camille. Uh, it says, are you guys going to make a video where you discuss trade scenarios or are you close to walking away like Jack? Listen, Camille, I'm, Blake, you're going to answer this one first, but we're going nowhere, man. I know the Pistons are losing. We're having a blast talking about it anyway. So not go, we're not leaving. We're staying. Oh, go man. I Well, first I have to say shout out to our guy, Jack. He's always doing a great job with – everything he does, all the content he makes. And yeah, it's a, it's a tough season. Yeah, go like follow I, Pistons intellect. Yes. Yes. And yeah, like I mentioned when we started recording, like the games are getting like tougher to watch. Cause we, we know what's going to happen, especially when you don't have Cade out there. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll be here. I'm, I'm sure we'll get into some more trade talk as we get closer to the deadline. Cause Hey, once the deadline passes, we'll have some basketball to talk about. But we're, we're close to draft season, guys. So we can hit at some point. We'll we'll look ahead there. But yeah, the uh, I, I'm I'm with you, Jack. I'm I'm having a tough time. <laughs> yeah, we're we're definitely gonna hit on uh, some trade stuff. Or I'm thinking we might try and pull a guest. Uh, I've got a guy of mine, old friend of the show, but. You know, we'll, we'll leave that as a surprise for now we'll, and probably rip that up late in January, you know, in the next couple of weeks, just to get closer to the deadline. But yes, absolutely. We are going to cover some trade stuff on, in the upcoming weeks here before the deadline. And I mean, my co-host is a draft expert here at Detroit Bad Boys. So, loosely, you know, we're going to be talking about the draft <laughs> as soon as that goes. No, no, no. Don't sell yourself short. All right. Next one here. This is from uh, Abdulay Garcia19 on Twitter. He says, I know hindsight is 2020, but do you believe the front office will regret not moving back in the 2023 draft? 
Uh, specifically, he's referring to the Jazz potentially offering up that ninth and 16th pick uh, if they wanted to move up. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting looking at this now. Like like uh, he says here, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. But I think if it, today, looking back on that, you know how this season is going. Like, would you like another close to a lottery pick in the house to develop? Yes. That said, I think like the organization was very excited to draft Asar Thompson. Like, and I think that they're still excited to have him in house all the minutes and everything aside. Um, but yeah, like what the jazz got Taylor Hendricks and Keontae George, I believe with those two picks, like um, Keontae George, I've liked what I've seen in the few minutes of like jazz games I've caught outside of when they're playing the Pistons. And uh, I, I know it was mentioned in the live chat here, like Taylor Hendricks is a type that this franchise really needs. I think there was some chatter of that leading up to the draft to the point where he could have even been the guy at five. Like, um, I mean, I think Asar is still like, if you take these two picks, you don't have Asar. Like maybe you don't trade up for Marcus Sasser because you don't want to have three rookies in the same class that are eligible to be extended at the same time. We saw what happened with Sadiq Bay, but overall, I, I think if you know where this year is, would you love to have another mid first round pick in the building? And as part of ideally your core moving forward? Yes, but at, I'm not like losing sleep over it or anything like that. So what you just said right there is funny to me because I have the exact opposite reaction. Assuming <laughs> you you still move back up, you're still going to take Marcus Sasser. Would I want now two basically lottery picks instead of just the one that they had? When you already have Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran, they wanted to get Killian Hayes moving. They want to get uh, James Wiseman minutes. You know, you draft the one rookie in, in the lottery, be that, you know, Asar or Hendricks or whoever there you would have picked at nine, Marcus Sasser, and then, you know, another guy in George. You're up to eight, and this team is bad. They're going to have another high pick next year. Like, you cannot prioritize nine guys at the same time. I'm sorry, you can't do it. So, no, like, knowing how this how this season has gone, if that was going to you know, definitely be the case anyway, would I want to add another young guy to the mix when they already have too many? No, I would have <laughs> rather, you know, tried to like cash in that, that pick. Like in hindsight, if you wanted to trade number five for like a very good NBA basketball player instead of a young player, like I would consider that with hindsight being 2020 instead of, you know, doubling down and maximizing the guys that we can't all focus on at once. Yeah, that's that's totally fair. And I mean, the issue is you have to like pay all the guys at once too. It doesn't work out in the long run. I guess the like only reason really to pick up an extra pick is just to take another swing. Uh, <laughs> and Weaver's taking a lot of swings. Like, so, uh -huh. so some of them have to hit, you know, so maybe, maybe that's the one, but yeah, I, I mean, when you look at Sar Thompson and Marcus Sasser's role in minutes, I completely understand that too. 
And, you know, quick shout out to those two guys, right? Hendricks and, and George. Hendricks, I think his minutes have been a little bit more limited, but George has been playing some good basketball. Yeah. He's, he's been solid. I've been, I've been impressed with him uh, since, since summer league. So uh, moving on to the next one here. This is from KCP for three and it's through in the DBB chat asking realistically, how do you fix this team? Uh, some have said Jeremy Grant or Kyle Kuzma were missed opportunities. Others say don't do it unless it's going to make a definite impact. What do you think, Blake? Unfortunately, I don't think there's a way to fix this team this season. I think at the deadline, like we've mentioned, you just have to get better around the margins. Like just guys that are going to help you bring in a new voice, maybe just take it upon themselves to just take the young guys under their wing and really like focus on developing them. I, I mean, I know when you're a veteran, you want to win, but if you're not in that situation, you're not in that situation. Um, like I, I know the Spurs, the Spurs are six and 30 now. Like they have some veterans on that team. They might be looking to punt to acquire more like draft assets or, or young players, like go get someone like uh, Doug McDermott or Chetty Osmond to, just come in and, and be a new face and bring some things that this team doesn't have. I don't think you fix this team this season. So it's all about how you manage the cap space you have, manage the upcoming whatever the draft asset is that you have. I, I just don't think there's a way to do it in the media, immediate future, unfortunately. So it's all about just trying to imp improve a little bit and then when you can take your swings, one, be sure to take them because I don't think like Troy Weaver has really taken them and just, oh my gosh, just try to get them right because it's going to, it's going to set this team up for the long haul, how they manage all the flexibility that they've created that we love to talk about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, what you said there with the you know smaller impact move right at the deadline, I, you and I agree, right? I, that's probably going to be the most likely outcome here coming up. Um, and I do think it, it is completely fair to say, hindsight being twenty twenty, you know they they missed some opportunities over the summer. They had cap space. They didn't have to send you know take on Joe Harris's contract. I'm sure they wouldn't have if they knew that Joe Harris wasn't going to be you know, healthy enough to really play good NBA basketball anymore. Um, they they weren't banking on Monte Morris, you know, his, his injury, his back injury, holding him out this long. So there, there were a lot of things you really couldn't have foreseen. But even if they, you know, played out perfectly, does, does adding Monte Morris right now really lead to 10 additional wins? No, probably not. You know, you're, you're talking two, three, four, five, some, something along those lines. So, yeah, you know, hindsight 2020, they probably missed an opportunity to go get a guy that can just be a bucket getter. They've needed that. You know, they they bet on Boyan being healthy. That didn't happen. But moving forwards, I'm I'm with you. So I I think you could look at this deadline as, as trying to get ahead in the offseason. You know, you're just just trying to make a move now that continues to set you up for next year rather than this one. And then the offseason, they They've got to be aggressive. They they have to be. Um, you we've talked about it a little bit before, but you know you you are really risking these guys' careers going off 
off the train tracks a little bit with how bad this losing has been and how, how that can inevitably spiral on these, you know, these, these kids, they're 20, 21, 22 years old, right? You know, they're still figuring stuff out. So it's a dicey time. I think they need to get aggressive and, you know, they, they need to make an impact. They need guys that can help the team step up next year and be, shoot, maybe you're legitimately aiming for the playoffs as soon as next season, you know, try and do something close to what the Rockets did. Yeah. Oh man. I just like, I, I can't even see that in the near future with how this season has been going, but, but you're right. It's just like, they need to go after a impactful free agent, or if they're not going to do that, they need to use that cap flexibility and maybe some of the young pieces or one of the young pieces that they have to acquire someone on the trade market that it makes sense for this team and is going to help fill the glaring holes on defense shooting that this team has. Like it, it really is just time to get aggressive as soon as you can. Like, like you said. Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree. And a YouTube user brings up a good point here uh, saying that Monte Morris uh, was probably more of a risk than we thought. Right. But anybody for one single season isn't franchise altering. And, you know, that's something that uh, Keith Smith has said over at the Pistons Pulse a few times now. You know, there's no such thing as a bad one year contract. So, you know, may, maybe you're looking at guys this offseason who, who can score and who are solid NBA players and you think, you know, let, let's get a one-year large money deal and see what happens. Uh, I believe, you know, Gordon Hayward might be might be a target for something like that, just throwing that out there. Um, next one here, this is from Doe Jumars on Twitter. What do you guys think of Wiseman playing over Marvin Bagley? To me, this is more egregious than Killian Hayes playing over Jaden Ivey. Uh, he says an argument that can, an argument can be made that Hayes is a better defender or ball handler, but what is Wiseman better than Bagley at? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's just weird to me. Like, uh, maybe there's something going on with Bagley that we don't know, or it, for some reason Wiseman is getting the nod over, over Bagley. But I, I think the thing is, like, they're both not good defensive bigs, so it's kind of like, pick your poison and Bagley's look great this season. So I'm like confused why he's fully out of the rotation. Wiseman has shown flashes, but at the same time, there's certain points where it's like, what is like, he just looks lost out there. I know against the Spurs, there were a couple points where I think he like went up for rebounds. Like I know one was with Burks. I forget the other instance, like, two Pistons going up for a rebound, one of them being Wiseman. It deflects off one of their hand and goes right to uh, the opposing team. And, like, those are deflating. Like You can literally, like, see it in their faces, and it's just, like, a mood killer on the floor goes to an immediate, like, three for the opponent. So, yeah, things like that. Like, it's just strange. I don't understand why Bagley isn't seeing many or any minutes maybe there is like an ulterior like trade thing going on that none of us are aware of we won't really know that until the trade deadline or whenever the deal happens but yeah it's just strange to me what do you think 
I'm going to answer this with a question to to you, Blake. Between Bagley and James Wiseman, who's a better defender? Neither are good. Who's a better defender? Man, I don't even like. I don't even know. Like, I don't know. I guess I'll just say like maybe Wiseman gets the nod and like a top. It's just tough because neither of them are like that defensive minded rim protecting center that this team so badly needs. So it, it's just like pick your poison, but yeah, it, you're right. Maybe, maybe that is the reason here. So, yeah, so th- this has been something that's kind of confused me with, 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 uh, with Pistons, like just conversations uh, with friends, family, Twitter, whatever. Right. Why is Wiseman playing more than Bagley? When Bagley started those, I believe it was three games, he was atrocious on defense. He was terrible, right? It was so bad. And then immediately after that little stretch, it was Wiseman that that took his place in the rotation. And I'm not going to ever say James Wiseman is good at playing defense, but recently when he's been playing, he tries to get in the way and he puts his hands up in the air which is more than I could say for the other two centers on the on the roster right now. So, like, why is Wiseman playing? Well, he's slightly better at defense, and Monty Williams is leaning into that. That's all I got. You know, I I would probably rather see Bagley because he can he can score. I don't think it it really gets to neutral. Uh, his defense probably is that not great, right? That that he just he doesn't make up for it enough on the offensive end, but. You know, it's not like Wiseman's scoring a bunch right now. For you know, he's not taking three point shots either. It's Wiseman's pretty much shut down uh, on the offensive side of the ball. Um, so I wouldn't be leading to him. But you know, why is he playing more? He's slightly better at defense, and that is just the unfortunate reality to me. Yeah, it, it's just weird. Like, I mean, I guess you truly can only play one of them, which might be why Bagley is like fully out of the rotation. It, it's just weird that yeah, zero minutes, you know, and, and yes, as Camille says in the live chat, he's a better defender than both of them. <laughs> I believe you on that one. I do. <laughs> uh, so this one, speaking of Camille, he's got another question for us, which players from the 2024 free agent class are realistic targets to you? Uh, he throws out guys like Jonas Valanciunas, Tobias Harris, Buddy Heald, um, along those lines. Yeah, I, I think of those names that you bring out. It, it's tough, like talking about targets with this team because there really is like uh, just a sense of like who who's gonna want to like come here and sign a multi year deal with the Pistons. They'll probably have to overpay a bit for anyone unless it's like the perfect match made in heaven. Someone wants to come here. Of those three names that. Camille throws out I'm I'm most intrigued with Buddy Heal just because I, I think he would be great and help with the floor spacing and shooting um I don't know like he seemed pretty gettable in terms of the trade market the past few years so I, I don't know if, if Indiana's done with him and lets him walk like I think that would be a name I would love to see the Pistons go after I mean, all of them would really fill a need. I just, it's just so tough for me to like evaluate this because you know, you're going to have to like overpay some of these guys for them to come to Detroit 
outright and agree to a multi-year deal in free agency. Maybe you can get someone on a one-year prove-it deal, um, but it, it's it's really difficult to evaluate for me. Yeah, you know, I was, I'm scrolling through uh, SpotTrack to, to look at some names just to see. And I mean, it. you know, you, you mentioned Gordon Hayward earlier. We talked about that. I, I could see that maybe being a, a one-year you know, big money deal, something along those lines. Uh, there's obviously a little bit of interest in Pascal Siakam, apparently. But to your point, could you really convince him to take very similar money in Detroit over somewhere else? I'm not so sure about that. Uh, one guy that is kind of interesting to me, I don't know, you know, the fit's probably not the cleanest. You'd have to clear out the guard room a bit. But Markel Fultz is uh, is an interesting guy. Good defender, good passer, good playmaker, super athlete still. He was playing really well uh, in Orlando. Um, not not sure why that kind of fell out uh, from under him a little bit, but it seems like it has. I, I bet they're moving on from him. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I could see throwing some cash at Markel Fultz and, and having him be either, you know, a starting two guard or a backup point guard and, and it working out really well. Yeah, a similar name to that is Tyus Jones, who's been playing really well, uh, shooting the ball well, and also he doesn't really turn the ball over. Um, so I- I'm assuming after spending this year with Washington, he'll probably want to go be a contender, come off the bench as a point guard. Uh, but I think he would be someone that would be perfect in like the Killian Hayes role. So Similar to your idea with Fultz, that could be another like guard name they could go after. Yeah, I, I would love Ty, uh, Tyus Jones. He's very, very good backup point guard. Um, all right, so this is the next question here. This is from Chaz Malibu in the DBB chat asking, how much longer do you give a GM that's already taken four years to assemble one of the most hilariously incompetent rosters in Pistons history? So Chaz is not a big fan of Troy Weaver. And wondering if, you know, you are in the boat of maybe it's time to move on or give him, you know, deadline, offseason, what have you. Well, like, I think it very well is probably time to move on. Like, this is a historically bad team. Uh, Depending on how they, like, finish the season, they're going to be one of the worst, potentially, like, have one of the worst seasons of all time in the NBA really like across the professional sports world. Like, like I think it could be time to move on. Like, uh, like I said a few minutes ago, Weaver hasn't really made those swings. Maybe he's tried to, it hasn't worked out or something. He was scared to pull the trigger on something. The unfortunate thing is like where we stand today on January 11th in the middle of this historically bad season, the trade deadline is less than a month away. Like, firing your GM, like who's going to be the one to make those decisions. I mean, probably Arn tell him if he's still around, but I just think they're in a corner where they can't really get rid of him right now. So I think the most likely course of action and what I'm saying this is based on is what Tom Gore said. And I know a lot of people weren't fans of what he came out and said, but Tom Gore has mentioned that, he expects and Troy Weaver knows that he needs to make moves. Like I kind of took that seriously and I would be shocked if there weren't moves made at the deadline. If he does nothing, I think it 
could be very well that you get rid of him in the near future after that. Um, and yeah, if he doesn't at least do something to improve the roster, maybe he gets through the season, they part ways and get someone else in house to go through the draft and manage free agency. I think there's a very real concern that like, if you have this guy making your decisions that hasn't really like his decisions haven't worked out and has resulted in this historically bad team. I think you should very well be concerned about him managing a very important off season in the main future. I just think right now, even though it might be time, it's just like they're in a bad spot to get rid of him on this very day. <laughs> All right. So, so let me ask you this, Blake, uh, if, I told you that this past offseason, the upper management, so Tom Gores and then the advisory guys and Stefanski and tell them all were in Troy's ear saying, hey, this is not the offseason to cash in on anything. Let's be patient and wait. And Weaver went with it. Would that change your opinion of you know what, what to do next with, with him at all? I mean, maybe, um, but the tough thing is like, I think still, even if that was the case, he could have made different moves this off season to at least bring in players who were going to help the young pieces that he put together, just develop their game and just like play together. Um, so I don't know. I think if that was like something in his ear, it would be, it, it's definitely something to consider, but I just think with like the record that we're seeing and like how bad this team is. And also like one of the things that Gore has said is like, this is on Troy and Troy and him. So I thought that was him saying a bit of Troy's the one making these decisions. So it, if that was the case, like, I guess maybe you think a little bit differently about it, but still like if you give him this off season, it, something has to happen. Like he has to be aggressive. He has to improve this roster. Uh, the tough thing, right. Is, is, you know, exactly what you said. Even if my hypothetical there was true, he still made poor marginal decisions on the edge of the roster to kind of augment the young guys that they do have. So that was a mistake. Um, but ostensibly, he has drafted well. Asar Thompson still looks like a very promising prospect, as does Jalen Duren, despite my concerns on defense. Uh, he looks like a very promising young big man. Jaden Ivey is exciting. Kate Cunningham looks like a home run hit. Like, even Isaiah Stewart, getting him kind of back middle of the first round is very good value. So, you know, it, it's, it's, very, it's a difficult spot to kind of weigh what he's done and, and what he hasn't done and consider why or why not he hasn't been aggressive. So I, I don't have yeah. a good answer for it. It's just they're in a tough spot. Yeah, that's the toughest thing for Weaver with me too, is like it, I think he has drafted well, but just everything else. So it's difficult. All right, let's 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 jump through these next two questions uh, quickly here. So a little rapid fire before we close it out uh, for this episode. This is from our guy Richard Brooks, uh, one on Twitter. Shout out to you, man. Appreciate your questions all the time. Uh, he's asking, if you were coaching and everybody was healthy, who would you start 
and who would be in the rotation and who would how would you stagger minutes? Oh boy. Um it's tough because like we haven't even seen it, but so Cade and Killian have been playing like the point guard roles. I would think about putting seeing what like Monte Morris is if he was healthy. Like maybe he's unlocked something for Cade, um, doesn't turn the ball over, can shoot the ball, um, see what happens there. So Morris, Cade, Bojan, Durin, and I guess I'm keeping like Isaiah Stewart in there. I don't know if I love that just because there's still like the floor spacing concerns there, but I just think with how the roster is constructed and what we've seen from Duran defensively, it makes sense to have Stu out there with him. You like to see opponents respect Stu a little bit more on the three-point line for that five to actually work. I don't know if there is like a right answer to this question for how the roster is currently constructed. But with the five that I just said, I think you have to one keep one of Cade and or one of Cade or Bojan on the floor at all times. And you need to stagger in Ivy and Asar Thompson and ideally a defensive center off the bench if they had one fairly quickly. And so you're just playing like one of your primary scorers with your second unit guys who are capable NBA players, like promising young pieces and hopefully like having maybe Ivy as the primary scorer in the outright second unit would work out well. So uh, I can't believe I included a guy who hasn't even played a game this season in that, but I, I think he really could help this group. I agree. I would stagger uh, minutes the exact same way, so I'm just going to go ahead and answer the first two uh, parts of the question. So who would I start if everyone's healthy? Maybe a little bit of a hot take, but I'd go Cade, Ivy, Bojan, Asar, and Stewart. And then off the bench, Monte Morris, Marcus Sasser, Alec Burks, and Jalen Duran. Kevin Knox can be the 10th man, but really I just want to be running a nine-man rotation uh, unless foul trouble necessitates the 10th or 11th guy to hop in. So. That's how I do it. I, I try to keep the floor as spaced as possible. And I think uh, I would value Asar Thompson's wing defense over Jalen Duran's lob threat ability uh, at this time. So that, that, that's kind of how I'd go with it. Uh, next one here. Last one for the day. In the hypothetical, uh, Tom Gores moves on from this front office. Who would be some candidates for the next wave. I know you did a little bit of research here. I saw it in our outline. So interested yeah. to see some of the names you bring up. I, I did look into this and at a Wes, maybe, maybe you have a better answer than me. So I will, I hope I'm not speaking for you, but I don't know if either of us are really like in the know enough to go through all the up and coming, like NBA executive candidates, but I did do some research. I, I mean, Bob Myers is the obvious, like, is he going to get a call or are they going to bring him in? I don't think that's likely. I What I think they should do is go for like a young up and coming executive to really give their shot to. Uh, like one name I came across was Jeff Peterson, who's the assistant GM for the Brooklyn Nets. 
He's essentially Sean Marks's right-hand man. He actually interviewed for the Pistons GM job in 2020. Um, so what, what I read about him is he's just like a super personable guy, super young, but um, has a super great background and is like going to be a lead executive in the NBA. So if the Pistons could get someone like that, I think it would be great from a player relationship standpoint and also a roster building standpoint. And really, I am just saying his name. So when one day the Pistons make a change, if it is him, I can come back and say, hey, check the timestamps because I said this guy's name. <laughs> Look, I, uh, I'm, I'm worse I'm worse than you on this one. I, I really don't have names. I've got one name, but it's more just like a fun one, you know, uh, nothing, nothing too serious. I feel if we remember back to, you know, the, the coaching search, I was very, very not confident in any names because how on earth can you analyze assistant coaches when I don't have any access, you know, behind the scenes, right? I think it's even harder to look at assistant GMs and front office yeah. guys and like judge it solely on the, the outcomes that occurred. Right. So it, it, it's just so tough. I'm, I am not in the know. I am not connected. I've got nothing here. So I, yeah, I, I don't really have any solid names for anything. Jeff Peterson sounds interesting. You know, you mentioned that he did interview previously for the Pistons one. That could be cool. Uh, but Hey, how about just the fan favorite option? Chauncey Billups might be on the outs there as a coach in Portland, kicked around the tires a little bit with maybe going front office in Detroit a few years back. You know, get a good scouting staff around him. It'd be fun. That'd be a fun name. That's that all is, I got. <laughs> that, that is a fun name. I also, I mean, I don't want to give anyone PTSD, although a lot of people I'm assuming would maybe like if this name stuck around a bit, but. Kevin Ollie had some experience running like the operation side at, at OTE. I think if he was hired to be the GM of this team, I don't, I don't know how that would go, but Hey, another bring, bring Kevin Ollie back into the uh, Pistons Twitter sphere. One more, one more Pistons connection. That could be uh, just a fun name. Tayshawn Prince. He's in the front oh, office yes. in Memphis. He's doing good stuff. How about how about Tayshawn Prince? Bring him back. Bring him home. Or keep Why? Weaver. I don't know. I'm not calling for anyone's job. Uh, yeah. Uh, whoever from the Pistons org is watching us right now and putting together their interview list, you're welcome. <laughs> ignore this. No, no. Ignore this. If by some unknown reason you are working for the Pistons and are watching this, ignore everything we just said. <laughs> We have no information. Please don't. We will ruin this team. That would be awful. Oh, oh my gosh. Yes, very true. But uh, on that note, with our uh, our very fun and exciting list of potential successors for Troy Weaver, we'll, we'll wrap this one up. We'll be back same time, same place next week, recording the newest episode of The Pin Down. Special thanks to our guy, Sean Corp, the man editor of Detroit Bad Boys for supporting our show as always and shout out to everyone that joined us live in the YouTube and Twitter chat and shout out to everyone that's listening on whatever podcast platform it is you're listening to us on thank you again for all the talking points and great questions tonight we'll catch you next week whether on your commute or live with us here on YouTube we can't wait to talk more Detroit Hooper.